0: Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast, my prayer for the message you hear today, that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CBC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram, and you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. Now I'm going to jump in the word uh, today and looking at the last four chapters of Job, chapters 38 through 42. And as we do that, then I'm going to uh, pull some things out of that that we read through. But before we get to the scripture, I want to just highlight and talk about one thing that, I've, that I know has been here in, in humanity. It's in our human nature from the very beginning, from the, from the creation of, and the dawn of time, that when, when humans first started walking this earth, even now, but even we see it more prevalent in our society, and it's this uh, idea... This, this, uh, this idea that if we were in charge, things would be better. Do you know what I'm talking about? Has anybody ever thought that? Raise your hand real quick if you ever thought, if I was in charge, it would be better. Everybody's hand should be up because we all believe that, isn't it? That's just true. If I was in charge, things would be better. It would, things would work out better. Things would run smoother. There would be less issue. There would be less strife. If I was in charge, we'd get it done world would be at peace there would be no more strife if I was in charge and it's interesting that we see that even from the beginning of Adam and Eve when they went to the tree and God said look I you can have all the fruit of whatever you want to eat but don't eat of this tree uh, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and what's interesting about that is sometimes we think that Adam and Eve were naive to what was bad and what was good until they ate and then they're like oh now I know what's good and bad. That's not what happened. Actually, they knew already what was good and bad by what God had told them because he was walking with them. What the tree uh, caused for them to do was to define for themselves what was good and what was bad. They they didn't want to have God tell them or dictate to them or show a standard of morality that says this is right, this is wrong. They wanted to take the fruit and say now we define what's right and what's wrong. Do you see that more prevalent now today than ever before in our society People talk about my truth, let me share my truth to you, as if their truth trumps your truth, as if there's no absolute truth. That came from the beginning in the garden, when man, humanity decided, I want to decide for myself what's right and wrong. Why? Because they thought if I was in charge, I would know how to make things right. Isn't it interesting? We see that from the very beginning. We see it uh, when we look at the opposition to political leaders. No matter who's in charge, they're doing it wrong, you know? All the time, and this is sometimes it's justified, like uh, how our state's being run, I think they, people could do it better. Could I do it better? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. But we always have this opposition. If, if our people, if our pl- politics were, and our political system was in charge, then things would work out. If our economic system was in charge, if this societal program was working the way I thought it should work, things would be so much better. We even see it, if you watch some football games yesterday, you watch them play and you think, why did they make that play? why do you throw it to that guy? He can't run? Don't they know? Why'd they miss that block? These guys are horrible. They're professionals? Let me get in there. And I would get crushed, right? But this idea that we think, oh, if I was there, if I was the quarterback, man, I could do so much better. If I was the coach, I would have called this this Ottawa. I would have said this play, man. We would have been doing I formation. We would have scored scoring touchdowns. But we're not in charge. But we have this mindset. There's this idea. It's, it's literally called the Monday morning quarterback. When we come back and say, look, these guys... They're doing it all wrong. If they would just listen to me, if they would call me on my couch at home, I would tell them what play to run. We just—it's in our—it's innate in our nature that we that we uh, want to rebel or or criticize the authority of others. You notice it. I even see it in my two boys, my four-year-old and my two-year-old, who think that it's their job to tell me how to do how to do things in life. Like we were we're driving anytime we go places, they instinctively want to give me directions. They have no idea where we're going. But they're always like, Go straight, Daddy. I'm like, I gotta turn. It's a red light. The car's in front of me. Little griffin, two years old. Go, Daddy. Like he like whispers it like, Go. And I'm like, I can't go. He's like, Go He screams. Sometimes I'll even ask him, Hey, which way should I turn? That way. I'm like that I'm not turning. I can't even there's not, there's not even a right turn. I can't even go that way. But you think that you're right. Even my, my four-year-old, when I, when I put him to bed, he rebels. If you have children, you know, children fight the, the need for sleep. And he told me the other day when I told him, hey, buddy, it's, t- it's, it's, it's time to go to bed. He says, Dad, looks at me like stern. Dad, when I'm in charge, I'll decide when I go to sleep. And I said, that's right, you will. But for now, I'm in charge. Go to bed. Because he thinks, in that statement that he says to me, he thinks that I am being unjust and cruel to him because he knows the party begins after 7.30. He, he thinks, I'm missing out on all this good stuff, and if you really loved me, you would let me stay up and enjoy Mario Kart with you when you put me to bed. right? He, he has this, he has this uh, innate understanding that if I was in charge, I would do things differently. I would do it better. And we see it actually as we've gone through this reading in the book of Job. We've seen it all throughout Job. That Job, he cannot explain the suffering that he's encountering. So he says it must be God's fault. It must, for some reason, God, he, he got it wrong. I don't know why I'm suffering. I've done everything right, which means he's done something wrong. And subtly, by saying God has done something wrong, Job is saying, if I were in charge, I could do it right. I could do it better. And that's something that we say all the time in our hearts and in our minds, whether it's about something else or someone else or even if it's about God. And then God begins to question Job. If you read chapter 38, God lays out this string of questions, which I think is so wonderful. And and he starts out with, hey, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? I love that. I mean, what are you going to say? I, w- I wasn't there, right? He begins to lay out these 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 questions that are that Job cannot answer. In fact, doesn't want to answer. And in, ver- in chapter 40, Job doesn't respond. He just says this in, ver- in uh, verse 8. He's like, I cover my mouth. I shut my mouth. I, I got nothing. What can I say? What can I say? And then God actually wants, a, wants an answer from him. And so... He says, actually, in chapter 40, verse 8, God uh, brings another question to Job, says this. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Will you put God in the wrong so that you can be in the right? This is what I see in society all the time now. People say, no, Scripture doesn't have authority over the way I want to live. I choose not to believe what this says, so I can choose to be in the right. What I want to I do, how I want to live, that's right. And by doing that, you're putting God's word in the wrong. God's word is not true. I'm true. There's a big problem with that, isn't there? So God would even ask us today, would you put me in the wrong so that you can be right? Job, he, he's complaining against God that God had gotten something terribly wrong that allowed this kind of suffering to happen to him. And, and we, that, we do that all the time, too. Often, when we complain about the stuff we're experiencing, it's because, it's because we're frustrated with the current situation. And we believe that if we were in charge, it would go a totally different way. If, it, if I were driving, I would know the directions to go. I'd go there faster. I'd slow down. I'd speed up. I'd make sure not to hit the curbs. When I'm driving, which is my wife, my wife tells me that all the time. Why'd you jump the curb? I said it shouldn't be there, right? If you're driving, you don't hit the curb, but if I'm driving, I'll do what I want. We always think, look, if I was coaching, I'd call this play. If I was playing, I'd make this play. If I was parenting, I would, parently, I would parent differently. If I was defining what was right and wrong, I'd get it right. Whatever it might be, we think that we're always in the right, but oftentimes we have to put God in the wrong so that we can be right. And God would say, is that, is that what you want to do? Is that how you want to live your lives? Subtly, when we accuse God of that, we see it in Job. Job was saying, look, God, I believe you're cruel because you allowed unjust things to happen to me. One thing that I pulled from the podcast that I encourage you to listen to, Terry Lee Cobble says this, she points out that it's the same thing when, God, when, when Job accuses God of being cruel. It's the same thing as saying, God, you're bad and unjust. And it's my belief that if I were God, I would be good and everything would be perfect. If I were God, I would never have done that. I would have never allowed this to happen. I would have stopped it before it started if I were God. So in that sense, you're saying, God, you've done something wrong. You are unjust and I should be in charge. It's the same thing my son is saying to me when he says, I don't want to go to sleep. You're a bad parent because you're telling me to go to bed. The problem is his mind can't comprehend that sleep is good for him. Right? He, his mind doesn't understand. It doesn't have the capacity to understand it at such a young age that what I'm telling him to do will benefit him in the long run. He needs sleep to grow, to rest, to, re- to restore, to, to do all the things that his mind needs to be done in a, in a restful state. But he can't understand it. He can only see the things he doesn't want to do. And because of that, he fights against it. Isn't that a picture of our lives? We think that if I was in charge, I would do it differently. But perhaps we are like four-year-old children. Our minds cannot comprehend. Our thoughts cannot understand what God is doing in the midst of pain and suffering in this world. Maybe, just maybe, we don't have it all figured out. Maybe we just don't have the wisdom it takes to see the end from the beginning. But I know the one who does. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the first and the last, the Alpha, the Omega, they know the end from the beginning. And perhaps we should trust in that. Maybe we don't have to have all the answers. Maybe we don't have to work it all out. Maybe there is something called faith that is needed to trust God in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our struggle. Instead of jumping ship in the middle, how about we hold on and say, God, where are you leading us? How are you going to get us through it? I pray that we would not have minds that are so, so filled with ourselves that we think we have the ability to fully understand what God is doing and how he's working, but that we would be like Job when he encounters the living God, he humbles himself and says, I didn't know what I was talking about. We see it, this, this, this thing in us that wants to rebel against the authority over us, we see it it, it, from the very beginning, when Adam and Eve, they, they take the fruit, right? And, and what happens when God confronts Adam? Adam does the blame game. He says, look, God, it was the woman. There are men still doing that today. My marriage not working out. It's the woman. Our finances are jacked up. It's the woman. It's always the woman's fault. <laughs> anyway, I digress. He, he, he <laughs> so he blames the woman first. And then he says, listen, listen, God. The woman that who... You gave me. So ultimately, it's your fault. God, you shouldn't have given me such a woman that would give me fruit. So in a roundabout way, I take no responsibility. I put it on her, and I put it on you. And we continue to say, and Adam basically saying this, if I was in charge, first of all, I wouldn't have given me this woman, and I would have done something differently. You got it wrong, so it's your fault, God. From the beginning, he's been saying, if I was in charge... I would set things right. I would do it right. The problem with that is this. If you're taking notes, number one, I want you to write this down. When we are are confronted with what life's throwing at us and we can't fully understand, it's because, one, we are limited, but God is limitless. We we have to recognize in ourselves that we don't have the full picture. Our understanding of what's happening is limited. Our power to do something about it is limited. It's limited. And even our lives, the very breath that we breathe, we have no power or control over. It's limited, but God is limitless. God has the power to do something about it. God has the, he, he is in the, he's in control. He has all these things worked out for us. And we need to completely understand that we are powerless without him. We can do nothing apart from him. And yet when we experience things we don't like, we want to rebel against the very one who breathes life into our lungs. In God's questioning of Job, God, God asks in chapter 38, verse 36, who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? It's a rhetorical question. We know the answer. The answer is God himself. God is the one who gives us wisdom and understanding. So why is that important to know where our wisdom and understanding comes from? Because if we know where it comes from, we also know that our wisdom and our understanding cannot surpass the one who's given it to us. It can't be greater than the one who actually it flows out of. Why is that important? Because if we recognize that we will never have enough wisdom or understanding to fully understand God because he is far greater and far superior, then we have to come to a point where we decide to say, I have to just trust and obey. I have to have faith because I cannot figure these things out. I am limited, but guess what? He is limitless. I have to have a point in my life where I say, I have to trust. Because even collectively, if we, if we put a lot of our, put our minds together. I mean, humanity has done some great and amazing things. But even in our greatness of, of, our, of our collaboration of thought and mind power, it will never, ever get us to a place where we can fully understand what God is doing. Because he has given us a glimpse and a taste and a piece of his wisdom and understanding. We don't have the full, full effect of it. We, in fact, we can't handle it because he's God. He is higher than us. He's wiser than us. He is is revealing things to us, but we don't have the full picture. In fact, he tells us in Isaiah chapter 55, a a book of a prophet that we'll read later on throughout this year. He tells the prophet to tell the people of God, for my thoughts, verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We have to come to a place where we say, look, God is doing something on a whole other realm that I have no way of understanding. Just like my son, when I tell him, you got to go to bed, he's got to trust that I have a better plan for him with rest than he does by staying up all night. And that's, that is a, just a, 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 a small example that, that children have trust in their parents to, to do what's right for them. right? We feed our kids good food, not poison. They have to trust when I hand my son a glass of water that it's it's a glass of water and it's good for him and it's not something that's going to hurt him or harm him. And in the same way, we have to say, maybe we don't understand all that's going on out here, but I have to trust what God says in his word. I have to trust what God says about my life, who I am, what he's done for me on the cross through Jesus, and I have to obey that. And I don't have to have all the answers. Because in fact, I can't have all the answers. I am limited. He is limitless. Like I said earlier, when Job is confronted with the first round of questions by God, he says in chapter 40, verse 4, Behold, I am of small account. What shall shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. He realizes that after all of his boasting and saying, Look, I've done nothing wrong. I'm faultless here. Which we know from Scripture in the beginning that Job was a righteous man. But he was saying, Look, even in all of that, I have no way to answer you, God. Because my, even my complaint, which is great, and Job has suffered tremendous things in this life. Losing his entire family, all of his financial success. His wife tells him to curse God and die. He, his body is riddled with, with boils and sores. And then he says, in comparison to my complaining, when I encounter the living God, I have a different perspective. And What, do I, what can I say to the living God? He covers his mouth and says, I can't speak anymore. God asks him another round of questions. And then in chapter 42, starting in verse 2, he says this, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Then he reiterates God's question in verse 3. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? And he responds, therefore therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. This is is where I, I pray that as... As followers of Jesus or people who may not know, uh, be in relationship with God, we would come to this place to say, maybe I don't know everything and I've spoken things I had no understanding of. Perhaps I need to humble myself and say, God, you are God and I am not. Verse 5, he says that. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now I see, uh, my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself. The word means humble. I humble myself and repent in dust and ashes. I love what he says there in verse 5. He says, I've heard, basically, I've heard about you, but now I see you. See, I think sometimes we have an issue in church. We have a lot of people who've heard about God, but never encountered God. There's a lot of people who have an understanding. Maybe they've even read scripture, but but they've only heard about him. They've never encountered him. And in the issue of just hearing about God and and having a religious mindset or being raised in church without a full encounter of God is that we continue to uh, have a distortion of who he is until we see him. And not necessarily face to face, but I'm saying until we encounter him in a personal and a real way, a relational way, then we can walk in humility. Then we can come into understanding that God, you are God and I am not. We can can submit ourselves before the great God. But until we get to that place, we're going to struggle with humility and repentance. Job was confronted with the greatness of God, and when he had been confronted with the goodness and greatness of God, he repented of thinking that God was in the wrong about anything. Could we get to that place where we say in our own hearts, I may not fully understand what's happening here. I may not fully comprehend what's going on in this world and why things look more chaotic than they are. Or what, what, whatever I'm experiencing seems to be out of control. But, but, but God is not wrong for any of this. It's not God's fault. So I'm going to continue to stay faithful to God because it's not on Him. And we've got to trust Him because we don't know how things will work out for our good. That's what the Bible says. That God will cause good for those who are called according to his purposes, called to be a part of his family. But can we trust it? Perhaps Job had put God in a box, thinking this is how God should always respond, how God should always work. And when he didn't, Job got really frustrated and really upset because God was not the if-then God that he was hoping for. God was not the scientific method that he was hoping for. He had a hypothesis about God. Remember if you're in in high school science, anybody? You had to write those hypothesis statements. If X, then Y, right? Job thought, if I do all of these things, then God must respond this way. But he was frustrated because he thought, I'm doing everything right, and I'm not getting the result I want. Here's the problem. God doesn't have to fit into your boxes. God is God. God can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants whenever he wants. But are we going to be people who say, God, you don't have to fit into my box. I'm going to trust you and be faithful to you regardless of what I see. Number two, number one is we are limited. God is limitless. Number two is this, we are powerless, but God is powerful. Another way of saying that is that, that we are out of control, but God is in control. The, the Christian word, the, the, the biblical word, For God being in control is God is sovereign. God knows the end from the beginning. We are not sovereign. Even though we try to predict what's going to happen or we estimate what's going to happen, we try to lay out how the, you know, if you think about stock markets or business exchange, we try to lay out a five, ten year plan of what we expect to happen, but we don't have control over those things, do we? We don't have control of what will happen to us when we leave this building, let alone what's going to happen ten years from now. We love to hope that it's going to happen, but there's no guarantee. I mean, I can tell you tomorrow the sun will rise, but I can't tell you that tomorrow I will rise. I have no control over that. So are we going to understand that I am powerless about certain things that I have no control over, but God is always in control and he is powerful. And I have to be someone who says, God, I will trust you even when I feel like I'm out of control because you are in control. The trouble comes when we think that God is not in control, as if God is asleep at the wheel and we're saying, God, wake up. My life should not be this way. What we're saying to him is, God, if you would just move over, let me drive, things would go a lot smoother. I even, you know those bumper stickers? I just thought about this, this on not my notes. But you know those bumper, bumper stickers say, Jesus is my co-pilot? I don't want him as my co-pilot. I want to be in the back seat. I want to go ahead and drive wherever you want to go, whatever you want to do. I don't want the risk of trying to take over the wheel of my life again like it was before I met Jesus because I was going in the wrong direction. I want Jesus to be in control. I want him to have charge. Jesus, drive wherever you, you want to drive. Whatever it looks like, whatever i got to go through because I trust you because I know in the word you, you are good. You are faithful. You are merciful. You are kind. I am not, but you are. So you drive. We have to be a people to say, I am powerless, but God, you are powerful. That's what we need. Because the problem is, in life, we can say we're as faithful to God as we want to be, but when hard times hit, the reality comes that we struggle with faithlessness. But number three, when we are faithless, still God is faithful. When we are faithless, God is faithful. Isn't that a good thing? Aren't you happy? That even when you struggle, God remains faithful to you? If you'll you'll continue to cry out, Job wrestled with God. Job complained, but God told him, look, I'm grateful that you were honest about where you were and what you're dealing with. You didn't run from me. You might have complained about me, but you didn't run from me. Even in the middle of all his accusations, we know through the story of Job that God was always there in that moment. How do we know this? Because he begins to respond to Job's accusations and complaints and the words of his friends. God was there the entire time, throughout the entire story of Job. God God wasn't off doing something else. He he didn't have a blind eye to them. His ears were not deaf. He he wasn't out playing golf. He He was there with them in the struggle. And God would say to us today, I am with you in your struggle. Even in your complaints. Even in your lack of understanding. Even in your lack of wisdom. I am still there with you. And I'll be with you. Because he's faithful. Come on, people, people in the house are praising the Lord. But how about online? Are you worshiping God? I can't hear you. God is working. And in the middle of our struggle, will we be reminded that even though I am limited, he is limitless. Even though I feel powerless, he is powerful. Even though I feel like I'm struggling with my faith, he is faithful to me. And will we hold on to this truth, the final point today, that God is a God of restoration. God restores. God restores. There is no lack in God. If you hold on to God, you will have no lack. That doesn't mean you're not going to have struggles. That doesn't mean you're going to have the big house and all the fancy stuff. That doesn't mean that. That means if you hold on to God, you have everything you need. And God is a God of restoration. We see it through the story of Job. After everything, God restores to Job. Everything that was stolen and and taken from it and brings increase to him because God is in the business of working things out on those who are faithful and hold on to him. Be honest with if you're struggling, be honest with your struggle. You don't have to fake it to make it. You be honest with where you're at and you trust God in the process. Say, God, I don't have it figured out. My wisdom is not yours. I don't I I can't. Your ways are higher than my ways. But God, I know this truth. That you love me so much that you sent your one and only son to die for me, to redeem me, and restore me back into right relationship with you. We see it in the garden. When, when Adam and Eve fell, God said, I got a plan. This plan is going to come through uh, Mary. He's going to rise up, born of a virgin. His name is Jesus. He's going to set things right. He's going to live a sinless life. He's going to die a death he did not deserve to redeem and restore humanity back to the right place. And we can walk in restoration when we submit our lives to Jesus. He is a God who restores. He is a God who restores. My challenge for us today is to trust him. Is to trust him. Where well, you trust him, even though things don't look like they're working out, you're going through some traumatic, difficult seasons, or, or you're, you're, things are fine right now, but, but I love this saying, either, either you've... Uh, Or in the middle of a storm, you've just come out of a storm or you're about to go into one. Life is full of storms. But in all three of those scenarios, can you trust God to see you through it? This is our challenge. If you have faith in Jesus, my challenge is is for you to continue to stay steadfast and trust him. If you don't have a relationship with with Jesus, you haven't put your trust and hope in him, uh, my prayer is that today you would put your hope and trust in Jesus. Where else can you turn? Where else can you look? Nothing else is going to answer these things for you. Nothing else is going to give you this hope that only Jesus can give. It's found in him and him alone. My, My call for you would be to trust in Jesus, the beginning and the end. He is trustworthy. He is in control. He has all authority. He is limitless. He is powerful. He is faithful. And he restores. Let's run to him today. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends. It'd help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley Church, go to CVC.